right. How is it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we're talking to innovative founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm super excited to be talking to Sanket, who is the co-founder of Synapse, which is one of the coolest companies I've ever seen. Sanket, how's it going? It's going good. Uh, how's it going with you? It's going fantastic. I obviously have just had my second cup of coffee for the day. So I'm energized, ready to roll for this conversation and ready to dive into what you are working on, which is, which is fascinating based on your website. Do you mind kind of just for, for starters going into what your company does and what the product is? Yeah, for sure. Um, essentially Synapse is building the infrastructure layer of financial services. Some people say it's like the AWS of financial services. The idea being, um, we think over time, more and more digital companies or internet companies would distribute financial products. um, And we wanna be able to build the infrastructure for them to be able to do so. Uh, Today, anyone who wants to launch a FinTech product or a financial technology product um, has to on an average integrate with like five to 10 different vendors. Um, and it takes about six months to one year to be able to launch something. Um, if you work with Synapse, you just were a one-stop shop, you come to us and you can get up and running with your product in about like four to five weeks, something like that. So really trying to bring down the complexity and barrier to entry in financial services for developers with the idea being if we can make it really easy for anyone to uh, deploy and scale financial products, then uh, financial inclusion would be a solved problem. Otherwise, it won't be. That's that's what we do. So, I mean, that's very useful in that, I mean, I've had a couple of fintech founders on, on the podcast, and they talk about the just how much is involved to build, even to just get a company up, uh, kind of targeting targeting finance. So I'd love to know, so what are some of the... Um, the features that Synapse allows, um, let's say I wanted to build a, a an app, you know, let's say a, a bank for, for freelancers, hypothetically, or, or whatever, you know, what types of things does Synapse allow me to do where I would otherwise have to build it custom or have to use, you know, several different platforms to make it work and it would take a long time? Yeah, uh, so some things are the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so some things are the features, and then some things are the back office. So I can talk about both. Uh, from a product perspective, there are four verticals that we mostly build products in. Um, it's payments, deposits, lending, and then investments. So payments are, think of any payment protocol from bank to bank transfers, which is ACH, all the way to card processing, all the way to check issuance or remote deposit capture, and so on. They're about like eight to nine different payment methods that work in the U.S., we support all of them. So uh, if you want to be able to add robust payment processing in general, Synapse is a good place for that. Then we have a bunch of deposit products. Uh, Some of them are kind of like a checking account, uh, an interest-carrying checking account, a savings account, uh, an FBO account, things like that. Um, then we also do one-time and revolving line of credit. So if you actually want to do lending products, Synapse is a good platform for that as well. Um, and this this year, we're also launching a brokerage account product. So you'll be able to trade stocks with it. Um, when you go back to the deposit products, we also allow you to issue 
uh, cards on top of it. So you can issue debit cards or prepaid cards. Um, and in next month or so, we'll allow you to issue credit cards on top of our lending product as well. So pretty much any product that you want to be able to offer, any permutation of this that you want to be able to use, um, you can come to Synapse and kind of like pick up these Lego uh, blocks at a time and kind of combine them together to build something new and unique. Um, that's the tip of the, uh, tip of the iceberg. Under the surface, uh, you have to do a couple of things. You have to do, uh, um, you have to be able to onboard customers. So if if an end user wants to sign up for your banking product, um, you have to do identity verification and uh, blacklist sanction screenings checks and a bunch of these other things. Um, it, you usually have to go and find a couple of vendors to be able to do that as well. Uh, but if you come come to Synapse, that is by default, just that just comes with the product in itself. You don't have to go out and sign up for a KYC vendor separately. Um, so a bunch of these things kind of come in handy as well. We have the largest ATM network in the U.S. So if you're going to be uh, issuing cards with Synapse, you essentially get access to the largest ATM network for your customers. Um, uh, you can do um, remote deposit capture, check deposits, check issuance, a bunch of these different things. So a lot of these things are like tertiary features uh, or onboarding requirements. And you pretty much have all of that as a solved problem when you come to Synapse, which in most cases you have to piecemeal together yourself. Um, yes, that's kind of like the lay of the land. Um, now, now one interesting thing about synapses are our approach to the market, which is um, we want we want to reduce complexity of deploying financial products. With the idea being in our mind, our target customer is someone who does not understand anything about finance. They just want to be able to distribute financial products to their customers. So everything that goes under the hood around banking regulation, compliance, transaction monitoring, a bunch of these different things, we just we just give that as a part of our package because in a way we don't even want people to be aware of those requirements or needs. We essentially just fulfill those for them. Um, so yeah, kind of like that's essentially how we approach the market. If we were approaching it differently, like anyone else, we would have also emphasized KYC, transaction monitoring, risk monitoring, uh, uh, unusual activity reporting, bunch of these other things that we do as products and features as well. But usually we don't emphasize those pieces. They just come baked in with every product and service that you want to use. So you're ultimately saying if I want to build a competitor to Chase Bank, I can do that on, on Synapse. <laughs> uh, no, it's, 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 I mean, it sounds like you have all these, oh, totally. you have everything needed, which, yeah. is, which is awesome. You can actually do better than Chase. Like you can, uh, um, you can, you, you have access to the largest ATM network. Uh, you have a zero fee uh, uh, checking account. Uh, you can also have an interest carrying checking account. You can have the highest, one of the highest yield savings accounts that can go all the way up to 2%. Like uh, um, you can essentially build a product that's better than Chase today in about four weeks if you just know how to program. That's pretty powerful. And I see this being the infrastructure that, that, that hundreds, thousands, or millions of different products are built on you know, in the next decade or two. I'm kind of curious to learn about where did the motivation for wanting to build the infrastructure behind fintech companies come from? Like, why are you working on this company? I'm super interested. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Um, well, 
Initially, uh, the idea, I thought of it when I came to America. When I came to America, I didn't have a social security uh, number, so I had to sign up for a bank account, which wasn't easy. I had to go to a bank branch and give them a bunch of documents, uh, like physical documents, my passport and proof of address and things like that. Um, and I opened up a bank account finally, uh, but I only had a checking account. I couldn't open up a savings account. I couldn't get a credit card. I couldn't get like any of these, I couldn't get access to any of these other financial instruments. Back then I thought, that's fine. I'm probably new to the country. So this is just like, this is like an onboarding challenge that you have. Um, a couple of years down the line, I tried to apply for, I, this time I had my social security number. I tried to apply for a bank account with Chase uh, and also Wolf Fargo. Both of them denied denied me saying that they, they could not verify me with my social security because again, I didn't have any credit built for the new social security number. But I have to again, go into a bank branch to be able to sign up for things. Um, and at that point, this problem didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I still ignored it. Um, then this, back then I remember thinking that hopefully at some point someone's going to build the Google of financial services, uh, aka like a, like a bank that accommodates all use cases, um, immigrants, non-immigrants alike. Um, and I can like stop thinking there. Uh, then Simple uh, uh, came came about, which was the, one of the first neo banks, um, and they didn't have a bank branch. So I was like, "Well, this is a branchless bank. That's great. Um, they would they would have to service me online. They cannot call me uh, into a bank branch in person." Um, so I tried to sign up for them. Instead of uh, servicing me online, they pretty much told me they could not onboard me because, again, my my I was a thin filed. Uh, uh, individual who didn't have a lot of credit history built on my social security, so they couldn't really identify and verify me. Um, and at that point, I was like, it seems like no one really wants to solve this problem. Um, and then I kind of started Synapse version one being a consumer-facing product um, that was supposed to launch a credit card in a savings account over time. And it was going to be the Google of financial services where uh, the product worked equally well for immigrants, underbanked, or well-banked people. Um, as I embarked on that journey, I realized that Simple wasn't really my enemy. Uh, it was the infrastructure underneath it that was fairly broken and brittle. Um, and if, if, if I were to build the Google financial services, I had to rebuild the entire infrastructure. Um, so then I thought instead of having to build Instead of building Google for Google financial services, I should probably just build like the AWS of financial services with the idea being anyone that wants to build the next big thing in financial services would just be able to use this infrastructure and kind of build really cool consumer products. Um, so I, we pivoted and then we just focused on solving this, this problem was kind of building out like a consumer facing brand ourselves. And the AWS of, of fintech products, what a, what a statement. And, and I feel like you, you, you have the base and you have the product to do exactly just that. You probably already are doing that. So, so this is fantastic. So I, I'd love to know, um, you are, you're building a, it's, it's, it's a hefty product. Like I'm on your website. You have a lot of different, obviously features because fintech is, is a massive undertaking. I'd love to know what have been some, uh, elements that you've learned as you've been building this product that you didn't necessarily think you were going to learn or what are challenges that came up that you didn't necessarily expect as you're building th this extremely powerful product? Yeah, I think one of the, 
one of the biggest insights that I've had that I take to heart and we apply that to pretty much anything we build is that money is money, but there are millions of ways of using and interacting with it. I have always been amazed and surprised by every couple of months. I'm, I'm just amazed and surprised by various ways with which either end users want to consume or use financial products or businesses that want to build new and interesting financial products. Um, and that's been kind of like the biggest learning. And we kind of take that to heart. And uh, essentially across all of our products, uh, uh, one, one sentiment that we echo is it's highly customizable. Uh, um, onboarding is highly customizable. Uh, spending limits and ATM access and card art and how your checking account works and what flows of funds work and what types of users you want to onboard. There's hyper customizability into the platform. Um, and that only happened on the third version of the platform. And why it happened on the third version was because at that point I had learned money, money is money, but there are about like millions of ways of using it, interacting with it. Um, and we wanted to be able to accommodate something like that. Um, so that when we started thinking of like the financial infrastructure, more so like an operating system that we had to really build out a very customizable base operating system for people to be able to build a really cool app on top of. And I think that's probably been like one of the most profound learnings that I've had in financial services. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fascinating. And you mentioned something at the very end um, just about people building products on, on top of this. And that's obviously the whole point of the, of the product. I'm wondering, um, can you, is it still, is Synapse, is it live and are people currently building products on top of it right now? And if so, I'd love to hear about like an example of a couple of products or is it still in development? And if so, when, when are you thinking of, of making a live for people to build on top of? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're essentially live. Uh, we have about 150 different fintech companies building on top of Synapse. Um, uh, to them, we service like a little over 4 million like uh, active users. So that's the scale. Like this year, we're going to be moving about like a little over $10 billion. Um, so it's, 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 a, it's a decent size uh, uh, company at this point. Yeah, I think like some of the use cases that are like very, very interesting. Um, one of them is like Mercury that's building out this business banking product, um, which which I find like extremely fascinating and would not have been possible until like late last year. Um, uh, they're pretty much making it really easy for startups to be able to um, kind of like open a bank account digitally and also kind of uh, onboard people and service customers digitally uh, for any business. Uh, this problem is like extremely, extremely hard to solve because uh, pretty much a similar company tried to attempt this a couple of years ago. Um, uh, and what ended up happening was they were essentially going to be, uh, uh, that company was called Seed and Seed was going to be uh, the bank for startups pretty much. Um, now the challenge they ran into was that most of their early adopter market was coming from Y Combinator, and most of those uh, folks were immigrant founders. Um, and it turned out they could not onboard them because Bancorp Bank, the bank they were building on top of, uh, and all the KYC vendors that they were using, were not capable of onboarding uh, 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 like like immigrants with a thin file social security number. Um, so they couldn't like they couldn't even tap into their early early adopter market. Mercury doesn't have that issue. Like Mercury can onboard 
uh, any startup with an immigrant uh, or underbanked or well-banked uh, um, uh, beneficial owner. So they've been growing like pretty rapidly. And one of the big reasons for that is essentially this, like they have a very solid product. Um, but on top of that, like their onboarding is much more accommodating than it would have been otherwise. So I think that piece has been pretty exciting and profound to watch. Um, similarly, like um, I've been amazed by like what Dave's done. Uh, Dave is um, uh, this this uh, company with the mission, let's never have overdraft fees uh, applied to customers again. Like, um, so one of their product was they will monitor your bank account. And, and if at any time there's a likelihood that you would be overdrawing your bank account, they'll give you a small loan and send that money to your bank account just to make sure you you wouldn't overdraw your bank account because every time you overdraw your bank account, the bank charges you like 20 bucks. So they were just trying to save people money. Um, now version two of their product is, let's just completely <laughs> eliminate this problem. So they're just giving people like a very well-managed bank account. So like people can either choose to just say, okay, I'm going to keep on using my Bank of America bank account, but just help me avoid overdraft. Or you can just switch over and then just use a Dave's bank account. And you don't have to worry about overdrafts there at all. Um, and and even in their case, like having a much more accommodating onboarding uh, uh, flow is 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 a lot better because they can onboard like a huge uh, uh, chunk of the customers, and a lot of their customers are people who need that and need help with financial services. So uh, a lot of those folks are underbanked or immigrants, and being able to onboard them uh, pretty well is like extremely important. Um, they're like other people, uh, like Empower is doing a really good job building out a new banking platform for uh, um, like like young millennials uh, who have who just got their first or second job and they want a high yield checking account and Empower is building like a really solid experience to be able to do that. Um, um, then like Yield Street is building out a really good investment product on top of Synapse. Uh, um, uh, Bridget is building out a very cool loan product on top of Synapse. Um, so yeah, like there are a lot of people doing like really, really fascinating things and we have about like 150 of like really, really good companies building us, like really exciting stuff. We're adding about like four to five, sometimes more customers every month. So, yeah. That is incredible. I am a huge fan of Mercury. We were very early customers of theirs. I actually had an email on the, on the podcast a couple of, of weeks ago, and I am just, I am blown away by what they've been able to do. And these other companies that you're, that you're mentioning, it's pretty, pretty cool to know that, that, that your software and your, your product is helping power these, uh, these products. So that's awesome. So, yeah, but most importantly, they're building like, like Mercury, it's like a pretty solid team. Like they're building a super exciting product. Like that's true for mostly all of our customers. Like um, they're super consumer focused and they want to be able to build out best consumer facing experiences, maybe for businesses or for individuals. The issue, the biggest issue in financial services by and large has been uh, there's a culture clash. Like you have to hire so many compliance and so many risk folks uh, uh, that over time your culture becomes extremely pessimistic. You have to worry about financial loss. You have to worry about onboarding people that might be trying to uh, um, fool your system and like a bunch of these different things. And I've seen as some of these companies have scaled, their culture goes from consumer centric 
to how do we how do we avoid bad behavior into our products and systems. And if the only thing I can do, uh, if the only profound impact that Synapse had was to offload that muscle from their from them completely, so that they don't have to think like that, and they can just focus on building the best products for their customers, I think we would have we would do our job. And like that's what I see in a lot of these teams. Like they're so like Mercury, Empower, Dave, Field Street, like so consumer centric, so focused on building out the best product they can for their customers. Um, and if we do our jobs right, they get to retain that culture and they don't have that culture clash. Like that's that's like extremely, extremely important for these products that like really scale and compete with Wells Fargo Banks America and Chase. Like that's what all of us want at the end of the day. We want we want better financial products for the end users. Um, and the only way we get to do that is by making sure that culture in the company is preserved. It sounds like you are building the base for an extremely, extremely powerful movement in fintech. I'd love to hear what your 10-year vision is, your 20-year vision is, uh, you know, for, for, for what you're doing. You already have 150 companies building on top of Synapse. What's the, how far can this go and how far do you want it to go? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. Uh, we we kind of like go back to our mission again and again, like essentially the mission of Synapse is to ensure that everyone across the planet has access to high class financial products. What that really means is like, we have to make sure one, everybody has access. Second, uh, around the world. So it cannot just be in the U S we have to do this globally and we have to make sure the financial products are high class. Uh, and those two are like extremely, extremely hard problems to solve. Um, so what, what I what I hope we're able to accomplish over the course of the next 10 years is be able to kind of uh, uh, keep up with the back office automation pace that we have so that we can keep on making the product more and more accommodating and, and, and inclusive um, as it has been. Make sure the cost of operating those financial products is extremely low. And if that's the case, then we can make these available to as many people as possible. Um, and then the final, well, there are two pieces still. The second piece is be global. So this year we're we're going to launch uh, in Europe, and then early next year in Canada, and then we're going to keep on adding more and more markets. Um, so we want to be able to keep on doing that until we're in every country uh, that's not at war, at the very least. Um, and then the final piece is we have to make sure these products are high class. Um, and in my mind, the evolution of high class goes this way. Version one is access and user experience. So be able to, one, just really open up and crack open how many people can access high class products. Like essentially that's what, that's, that's the biggest thing Robinhood's done. Robinhood's been able to give a lot of folks access to brokerage accounts and they would not have, they would not have had access to those brokerage products to begin with. So we want to be able to do that across all financial products um, uh, and make sure if, if we make these available to developers who are, who are consumer-centric via an API, they will build out very compelling user experiences for people, so they would have a high-class experience. Um, so we want to be able to accomplish both of those, access and usability. And after that, the next piece we want to be able to accomplish is high fidelity, which means just like how it happened with Uber, Lyft, Airbnb, initially these products were giving people access to resources they didn't have before, and then over time there's a lot of 
prediction and automation and like ride matching and a bunch of these things that they're add, adding behind the scenes that are just making your experience better and better. And in financial services, that essentially is automation and financial advice. So what we want to be able to like kind of really move the needle on um, is money just needs to arrive uh, to your deposit account or your checking account or whatever that account looks like in the future. And then your savings, your investments, your bills, uh, uh, your your credit, everything is optimized and keeps on improving and learning over time so that you don't have to worry about your financial health at all. Um, and you're just informed with good analytical tools uh, to be able to like show you, okay, well, this is how we were able to optimize overall your financial health. So we think that's how the infrastructure really, like that's how the infrastructure looks like in the future. Initially, it's about access and usability. And, and over time, it becomes about automation and, and forgetfulness. People should not have to work super hard to improve their financial health. It just needs to happen by default. So that's, if, if we can accomplish all of that across the globe in the next 10 years, I think, I think that would be, I think that'd be, I think that'd be pretty productive. So hopefully we get there. I agree. That would be extremely productive and that's a future I want to live in. So, so that, 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 that's awesome to know that that's where you're rowing to. I have a couple more questions for you. One is something that I usually ask, uh, depending on what the current news is at the time, I, I, I always bring it up if it's relevant, but I'm kind of curious, like you're in fit, you're obviously in FinTech, you're powering, uh, you know, hundreds and in the future thousands of companies building on top of Synapse. Um, do you spend much time thinking about cryptocurrency, blockchain, Libra? I'm kind of curious on where you think about all that stuff and if it relates to what you're doing, if you're ignoring it, like, I'd love to know how you think about that. No, uh, we don't. We don't ignore it. I think there's nothing we like to ignore. Um, it's. I like to think of financial services from. From the perspective of the end user or the business. So, like, if something is going to be profoundly helpful for a business or for the end consumer, then it's going to succeed. Um, and there are like small pockets of innovation in in cryptocurrencies. Like one of the big ones is in foreign exchange today. Um, I think foreign exchange could be a profound impact over time that cryptocurrencies could have on. Um, and maybe there would be like more applications too. But like we we love that. We love most of this stuff as 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 engineers. Um, but I don't see us really really doing much with it until we find some really compelling like uh, use case for end users. Um, uh, if it's going to help improve people's financial lives, then we're going to use that as a tool. Uh, if it's not going to use, uh, if it's not going to help people's financial lives at the end, we're probably not going to use it. And the state of cryptocurrency today, it's, and I'm probably, I'm probably going to offend some people, but I think speculation is the biggest use case by and large. Um, uh, and then a lot of uh, hobbyist hacker stuff, like hacker, I'm not saying in a bad way, I'm just saying like a lot of engineers just love playing with it. Um, and those are like great, great things, like great technologies have come about just on those things. Like when a lot of 
really, really smart, good engineers try to just like make infrastructures better uh, over time. Very interesting use cases emerge. So I think the amount of investment and attention cryptocurrencies and blockchain gets in general is extremely healthy. Uh, but there is yet to be a very compelling consumer facing product or application that we could get behind. That's a great answer, and it's something you've, you've spent, obviously, a lot of time thinking about, so I respect that. Um, I have one last question for you before we wrap it up. I've learned, uh, honestly, a ton on this, and I think, what you're, I think what you're building is so cool, and I'm looking forward to seeing the vision that you just painted come to life. Um, but th there are a lot of people that are listening to this podcast that also have visions in their own verticals and they want to start a company. They don't necessarily know the best steps how to do it. And, and, um, but they just want to get started. So if you were giving advice to someone who was, who was in that position, who, who wanted to start a company, didn't necessarily know best first steps, what advice would you tell them to just get started? <laughs> um, whenever someone asks me to give them advice about starting a company, I say, don't <laughs> like that's the first piece. Don't do a company. Uh, unless this is the only way you think you will be content. Like um, you will spend less time with family and friends. You will lose some friends. Like uh, sometimes it's going to be extremely isolating. Um, so only do it if you feel like this is your calling. This is the only way you would be like kind of, you would be fulfilled in life. Um, so that's, that's one. Um, and even if after that you say, no, nah, this is probably the only way I'll be fulfilled in life uh, and you still want to do it, um, then the biggest piece of starting a company is it comes down to grit and it comes down to like having an open mind. Um, don't give up and learn. If it turns out your assumptions are wrong, learn that. Like, the biggest failures come from within. They do not come from competition. So if you don't learn, if you're stubborn, um, then you're probably going to increase your likelihood of failure. Um, it's, it, it's a double-edged sword because I'm also saying at the same time, do not give up, which means you have to be a little stubborn. Um, but you have to kind of like balance both of those things out extremely well. And if you can do that, uh, then you're going to increase your likelihood of success. Because if, if like, like Synapse got started as a consumer-facing product uh, that looked a whole lot like Venmo and PayPal. And today it's an infrastructure company because I learned and I've pivoted uh, and tried to figure out where could I really have my mark. Um, and we consistently do that, constantly kind of like learn new things. Uh, last year we had a lot of theories on behavioral science. Now those theories look very different, like things like that. So on a constant basis, we're like running a bunch of experiments uh, and we try to learn from them and get better. Um, so if you do that and you don't give up, you increase your likelihood of success by a long shot. But both of those things are extremely, extremely hard. They could be they can sometimes kind of like have a massive impact on your psyche because you feel like you're doing most things not so well and very few things extremely well. Um, and in some cases, you feel like you're not doing anything well. Um, um, all, like all these things have massive impact on your psyche. So you should only, only do this if this is the only way you feel like you would be content. Um, like think about if you were on your deathbed, what like what could you reflect back on? And if, you, if, if it turns out this is something you would want to reflect back and be like, yeah, I was able to accomplish kind of building a company, like that's so important to you, then do it. Otherwise, don't. Like, there are easier ways to be happy and fulfilled in life. 
you all heard it here first. That's a, that's a fantastic answer. Thank you for that. And thank you for coming on to the Forward Thinking Founders podcast. This was an obscenely valuable episode for me. And I think that a lot of the listeners will have gotten a lot of value too. So thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. It was great chatting with you.